2018 is wrapping up with a bang. From Nissan's CEO going to prison, to plant closings, to Tesla, to President Trump's tariffs, there was no end to the news. On this week's show, we dive into the details. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Wow, 2018, what a year for the automotive industry. Things looked pretty busy all year long, and wow, we're going out at the end of this year with a bang. Lots of news going on. And to talk all about that today are three of my colleagues, including Jeff Gilbert from WWJ News Radio 950 in Detroit, Joe White with Reuters, and Gary Vasilash with Automotive Design and Production Magazine. Great having the three of you here. Good to be here. Thanks. Boy, what do we talk about? I'll throw up the first one. Carlos going. Joe, you want to take it from gone. there? This guy, well, CEO and chairman of Renault and Nissan, and gets thrown in the slammer. Yeah, so, yeah, he, I mean, it's, it's, it's truly remarkable and stunning what happened with him and, um, and, and what it means for the Renault-Nissan alliance and Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi alliance going forward is, is, is still to be determined, and it's probably going to be up in the air for a while. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he went from a hero of, of, Jap- of, of Japan, of the Japanese industry, to a, a guy who clearly is, is, is um, in trouble with a lot of his former colleagues because they're, 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 they're informing against him. Um, there's been no formal charges uh, at this moment uh, to, uh, uh, you know, against Gohn or, or, or his uh, uh, associate, Mr. Kelly, um, who, who are now being detained. But it's pretty clear that his time as head of, of Nissan is over. His time as head of the Renault-Nissan alliance is almost certainly over. And now a question that I think, that I don't think I know, Carlos Gohn was trying to, and his boards, plural, were trying to, push off into early, early 2020s of who, who could follow his act, that question is being called right now. And, and um, you know, the, the drama around Mr. Gohm personally is one thing, but the drama about where this very large, I mean, the largest by sales volume group of, of auto, you know, alliance of automakers goes from here is equally important, I think. Yeah, Jeff, your thoughts? What do you think is going on? Well, the big question I have on this is timing. All of these allegations about against Mr. Ghosn, be it about misstating his income, houses all over the world. So after all of these years and this particular position, nobody had any idea this was happening till now, right? So why? I mean, was there somebody waiting for him? Were, were the powers that be thinking maybe he'd been at the party too long? They're waiting and waiting and waiting for him to go, and they realize he's not, and he needs a little push. So, you, you know, you really wonder, what is the next step? Can the alliance even survive? I mean, they, they say now that it will, but, I mean, this was his baby, and is anybody going to be powerful enough to keep these 
very powerful people at these companies who all want their own autonomy to keep them working together. Don't forget, the governments are involved, but certainly the French government. The Japanese government has disavowed all, you know, all involvement in this. Uh, the French government is absolutely involved in this. I mean, they're a stakeholder or a shareholder in Renault. So there's, there's, there's more levels to this than three-dimensional chess. Yeah, Gary, what do you see going on? Well, it just seems very bizarre to me that the initial charge against him was for understating his income. And, and this occurred from 2010 to 2015. It isn't like it happened last week or the week before. So it gets to the point that these guys were mentioning, why now? Why is there such an interest in past income. Now, there, there are other uh, reports about deferred income, which um, would pile up a whole lot of dough. But, but again, Carlos Ghosn clearly saved Nissan. I mean, here was a company that, that was just on life support at most, and, and he managed to, to do what no one thought would be possible. To bring it back and and to make it very successful because as you know as, as you said Joe it's uh, it's a it's a huge organization along with uh, with Renault and Mitsubishi, so it it, it gets back to the four dimensional chess perhaps and and you know the question of why what you know what what pieces are moving that we don't even see well you know I'll give you my conspiracy theory because and I'm not a conspiracy kind of guy but I believe there's a conspiracy behind this story. Nissan has been very dissatisfied with uh, this situation. It has almost no say in the alliance, even though it's the bigger partner, it's the richer partner, it's the more technologically advanced partner. And so it's been complaining to the French about this for a number of years. The French weren't listening. Now they're listening. No. Now the French, uh, because Nissan took a hostage. And so now it's got their attention. We'll see where it all goes. In fact, by the time the show airs, it may have been resolved to some degree. Well, or other. that's not at all clear because they've just—they've uh, just the Japanese uh, authorities uh, within the last 24 hours have announced that they're going to hold uh, Gone until the end of 20 December. Well, almost the end of the year, December 30. They're going to rearrest him now, or re, or on on, on for on new, defer, charge. new charges of deferred income from a different time period, 2015 to 2017, if I have that right. But at any rate, um, uh, moral of the story is: do not uh, do not get in trouble in Japan with the legal process because they can hold you without charges for what appears to be an indefinite length of time. So, Well, we could de dedicate the, yes, whole, the whole show could. to this, but we got to move on with topics here. Uh, Jeff, GM announced these potential plant closings. It's going to get rid of 25% of its white-collar workforce. The president's weighed in on this. The union is uh, up to here with it. What do you see going on? I think we're in Chapter 1 of uh, War and Peace-length novel. This is going to play out over a long period of time. Next year, we've got talks between GM and the UAW, and we're already arguing over the meaning of the term unallocated. So take a look at GM's plant portfolio. They have far more plants than anybody else, any other major car maker, and far more working on one shift. And let's look here at Michigan alone. You've got Detroit Hamtramck closing, but you've got Lansing Grand River with one shift. You've got Orion with one shift. You've got GM making, where are we going to make all these EVs and automated vehicles? And they've started at Orion. So they go into the talks with, G with the UAW and go, 
Well, you know, Orion's kind of an aging plant, but we've got all this investment pending at all of these other plants. Uh, you know, if you let us close a few plants, you're going to get these jobs back, at least the manufacturing jobs, not the salary jobs. At some of the other plants, as we add more shifts, they consolidate, they get more down to the right footprint. So we'll see what happens, but it's going to take a while. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. And the other thing that's going on with GM, and, and, I, and I, I take... You know, they've said this, and I, and, and I take it at face value. When I, the, the morning that Mary Barr announced these, this decision, or these set of decisions and the cuts involved, I walked into the Renaissance Center, and there was a big sign that said, GM, new hire orientation this way, right? This is the same day. And so part of what's going on, this is probably more about the white-collar side of, of these cuts than the, than the hourly side, and I agree with what Jeff had to say about that. On the salaried side, I think GM is trying to accelerate a process that normally would take quite a long time, which is basically rolling out a workforce that was designed for the 1990s or the 2000s, you know, the mechanical, you know, uh, you know, gasoline era, and rolling in a workforce that is more digital, more software native, um, attuned to electric vehicles and, and, and those kinds of skills, more the skills that Tesla is quite good at uh, because that's the world they're born. We'll get out to of. Tesla later. Yeah, <laughs> we will. But but I do think that there is a certain there's and 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 I think GM's pretty much said this. It's been pretty clear that they've they're trying to accelerate a transformation of their of their workforce. Uh, easier said than done, uh, especially if you're trying to recruit software talent in Michigan when that those same people, uh, both recruits out of college or you know people in you know early to mid career, could go to Silicon Valley. Um, and make way more money, have way more opportunity, hop from one job to the next. It's just a whole different culture. And I think that's, frankly, why you're seeing GM, um, GM's president <laughs> just like say, you know what, I'm going to go to that world right now. I'm going to go work, at, I'm going to go run Cruise. Um, so that, I think, is a big challenge, separate and apart from the very big challenge that Jeff outlined. Yeah, Gary, you, you, you really watch manufacturing. What do you think of this? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting, um, Joe mentioning um, Tesla, because I know we're going to get to Tesla. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but, but one of the, one of the issues is, is been the wherewithal for them to produce vehicles. That is not a problem that General Motors has. The problem that General Motors has is producing vehicles that people really want to buy. And I think that what we're having here is a situation where, in the olden days, there might have been some... Um, whistling um, past the graveyard, pretending everything was just fine. And I think in this case, that we have Mary Barra saying outright, look, we're not making what people want to buy. We need to invest more money in what they do want to buy, electrified vehicles, uh, perhaps autonomous vehicles. You know, we're referring to Dan Amon, who mm -hmm. left as being president of General Motors and, you know, starts January 1 at, at Cruise Automation. Which, in Silicon Valley. In Silicon Valley, which uh, they spent a reported $1 billion on and now is valued in excess of, uh, I believe it's $14.5 billion. I mean, mm -hmm. clearly, I think that the executives at General Motors right now see that if they're going to have a future— they're going to have to make some hard choices. I don't think necessarily that that has been the historic General Motors. I think that in, back in the day, you know, we're the number one automaker. We can do whatever we want. Well, and, 2000, um, 2007, you know. Right. Well, we can work this out. Well, no, you didn't. And, and you went bankrupt, and the government had to bail you out. And I think, I mean, that's, you know, all the people or many of the people running General Motors right now remember that all too well. And don't forget, I mean, and they said this, I mean, through the first nine months of this year, they were cash flow negative. Uh, that is not a good thing. And yes, there are big launches for the trucks and all that stuff, but still, that is not a good thing. 
the market isn't bad right now. It's okay. It's actually more than okay. What happens if you do lose a million vehicles a year in the U.S. market? You better get ready now. But, Jeff, the union doesn't like this. What, no, one they don't iota, like it at all. You mentioned the term unallocated, which we really have not seen used in the terminology of a plant closing before. Explain a little bit about that, and, and what do you think is going to happen with the negotiations next year? Well, well, first, unallocated is a way of saying the union contract does not allow us to close plants, so we'll just say we don't have a product allocated for them, so therefore we come up with a word unallocated, and when we go into talks this next summer, we will negotiate that. And obviously they've got to have the carrot along with a stick. Now, these talks are going to be the most difficult auto talks we've seen since at least 2007 when we had brief strikes. You've got two big issues going in this talks. First, GM and the anger that is pent up among workers and the concern. So GM better offer a pretty big carrot, or, you know, you could have a walkout short, long. Once people walk out, you never know how long. Then you've got Fiat Chrysler, where the last time around there was all sorts of concerns on the workforce that uh, Sergio was hugging Dennis Williams. They're way too close, and surprise, surprise, we've got this whole bribery scandals. So in some areas, they were too close. So you've got a workforce that is really angry, along with a brand new UAW president who was cut in the mold. He was trained by Steve Jokic, who was a very tough UAW president. So it's going to be interesting. No warm, fuzzy, touchy-feelies this year. No one's hugging anybody. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And, and I, think, I think the union, I mean, both the union and the, and the Detroit Three have have, have amplified versions of the challenges they've had for a long time, which is that the pressure from the, the plants in the South that are not union continues. They, the union has failed to organize those plants, or at least failed to significantly organize them. Um, and so that pressure continues. If the president is successful, we may come to this, in, in bringing yet more plant investment into the United States from non-union companies, that's good for the United States, not good for the United Auto Workers Union, you know, bargaining, saying, hey, we set a pattern. What pattern? It's less than half of production in the U.S. market. And so, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think this is going to be a pretty consequential round of talks, especially if GM makes good on the, the idea that they're going to use this to set the template for how electric vehicles are going to be produced in this country going forward in, in mass scale, not just at Tesla scale, but in like GM scale. An interesting thing about all this is, is basically General Motors is saying sedans don't make it anymore. We heard Ford earlier this year basically saying we're going to be concentrating on trucks and crossovers. And so I begin to wonder, is, is, is 2018 going to go down in history as the year of the collapse of the car? Well, I would say that's been going on for two years now, but I, I, I've run the numbers and Passenger car sedan sales are probably going to fall 800,000 units this year. And, uh, and maybe that's a good segue to get into our next topic, Gary, because we can't talk about what went on in the auto industry in 2018 without mentioning Donald J. Trump. He's been front and center in this industry. He's been, you know, talking about cutting electric car subsidies. He's talking about putting tariffs on imported cars from Europe. He's already put tariffs on steel and aluminum. He's, you take it from there. What, what role do you think the president will continue to play in this industry? So 
before this show is taped, we may have something different happening. It's it's it's, it's very difficult to tell what's going on. But but I mean, so so, so basically, I mean, the first shoe to drop was um, the the tariffs on on steel and aluminum. So it was twenty five percent and ten percent, and uh, and the you know the claim that this was um, under the um, problem with the defense of of the nation. So our Close ally Canada was somehow seen as, as being someone that would be a little dodgy when it would come to supplying us in, in the case of war. We, we heard Ford, um, um, Jim Hackett came out earlier this year and basically said this is costing us a billion dollars. Okay, so, so here we are talking about plant closings. I mean, Ford is making adjustments. They're, they're um, um, going to be announcing their, uh, what is it, $11 billion? Um, yeah, the next shoes to drop on next that. Next shoes yeah. to drop. They're restructuring. Restructuring. And, and so, I mean, when you're looking at costs like that, um, I, I just don't see how this plays out well for anyone. Okay, I mean, ideally, I think the idea is that we'll get more capacity. But, but as, as we all know, you know, putting up a steel plant or putting up a car plant is not something that happens overnight. It doesn't happen, you know, in a year. I mean, it takes a long time for this stuff to, to happen. In the meantime, there's going to be a lot of money lost and a lot of vehicles that are not going to be built or vehicles that are not going to be sold. Yeah, I'm doing this off the top of my head, and so I'll beg for forgiveness in advance. But the amount of money that GM probably will save by, by reducing its white collar staff by 8,000 is probably roughly equivalent to the amount of money that they told in Wall Street uh, they're losing on steel tariffs. I mean, it's not exact, but it's in that ballpark. Um, and, you know, money's fungible, okay? They may, they may have entirely different motives for that. I mean, but it's still, they took, it's a billion dollars. The tariffs have taken a billion dollars out of GM that GM doesn't have. And lo and behold, they're now accelerating cost cuts in a way that, that Washington doesn't like and the president doesn't like. So, I mean, unintended consequences are a bear. And I think that the White House and, and everybody are going to have to be careful about that um, because, um, you know, you, you, sometimes you push on the balloon and you don't know which side's going to pop out and how it's going to affect, you know, how it affect the industry going forward. And that's kind of the area that I was going to hit on. I have a slightly different take, and I'm going to go back to the whole labor negotiations model. I look at all of these tariffs as negotiations. I look at what's happening now as absolutely irrelevant, strictly talking points. In fact, I kind of look at presidential tweets as absolutely irrelevant because they're mostly talking points. It's like, okay, we're going to take away the uh, electric subsidies for GM. What, what, what subsidies? And we can't take it away. I mean, all of this is negotiating points, and you've got to sit there and go, what is the end game? And on one hand, it could all blow up in people's faces, but on another hand, maybe GM, maybe people get a slightly better deal with China, and they could do a little bit of better business in China. So I will keep an open mind and wonder, okay, how is this all going to end up as opposed to panicking over what we see now? You know, one thing I wonder is if the president, who ran on bringing jobs back to America, especially in the Midwest, got a lot of union support, not from the unions, but from their members. Mm -hmm. And now he's seeing that GM's closing potentially three plants. There's three more on the chopping block. Ford's going to announce a big restructuring. I think he's even more likely to impose tariffs on European cars and say, hey, now you got to build them here. And by the way, GM has this beautiful open plant in Ohio, and they've got these two beautiful open plants in Michigan and, and one down in Kansas. So I'm almost thinking that this is almost going to force the president to say, yep, we've got to put tariffs on these. He's things. more or less said it's, he's, he's said the part about imposing tariffs. He's definitely linked the his, his, his 
decision to implement tariffs or, or his likely decision, he hasn't done it yet, but his likely decision, he's definitely signaled that he's linking that in his mind to GM's um, plant closures, like well, this is what we've got to do. Um, and again, I mean, I, I mean, the the number of imported cars, uh, it, it, I don't think is a huge factor in GM's decision making, uh, you know, about plants and people. I think it's the factors we all discussed just a few moments ago. Um, and um, the the flip side of that too is that if the president is successful and negotiates um, uh, zero tariffs with Europe, which is what he's talked about. Uh, that, that suggests that there would be zero tariffs um, um, on everything, including pickup trucks, which are currently protected by a 25% tariff. So, and which I do think that GM and Ford and FCA like pretty well. So, again, it's just sort of interesting to see how this games out. And, and uh, yeah. yeah. And that's my whole point is watch how it games out. Don't pay much attention to the tweets because, again, when you're talking about President Trump before that businessman Trump, this is a guy who closed more casinos than GM is closing plants this year. So he has been through this himself, so I cannot imagine that he doesn't understand why Mary Barra is doing what she's doing. Can we all agree, agree all of us, you know, that we're not going to cover the tweets and the, and, the, and the pronouncements and just kind of get, get to the end game? No? <laughs> that, that's never going to happen. No. Everyone, See, I knew that wouldn't work. Okay, we got to get to Tesla. We talked about that. Gary, what do you think about this? I mean, it's both Elon in the news big time this year, wanting to take the company private, smoking weed publicly, you know, on, uh, on a webcast. But then you've got this Model 3, and there are a lot of questions, but right now the sales are off to the races. You know, one of the things that occurs to me is, is that, number one, Tesla gets an inordinate amount of coverage for the small company that it really is. But the other thing that is, is very striking to me is, is that after all of these years, do you realize that the Model S still doesn't have a real competitor out in the market? And, you know, the case of the Model 3, okay, um, Here's, here's the car that is supposed to cost $35,000, which, of course, doesn't uh, cost much more than that. And Tesla had a huge problem in terms of output, in terms of manufacturing that vehicle. And, you know, Elon has had all of these theories of physics related to factories and, and using three-dimensional space in factories because factories tend to be just on the floor. And he's saying, well, we have all that space overhead. Why don't we use that? Or robots don't work fast enough. And if the robots work faster, we'd be able to get more cars out. And the goal was to make 1,000 Model 3s a week, which seemed... A thousand a day. Was it five thousand a week? Okay, and it, it seems patently absurd that he'd ever be able to do that, and and yet somehow Elon has managed to do that while smoking weed, <laughs> suggesting that he might retire on Mars, <laughs> boring giant holes so he, in, in he, California. He is, I mean, he is the master marketer. He is the master marketer. But you know, it's interesting. I've been watching and and. and he does, and it's interesting to sort of, Elon kind of does this very publicly, actually, you know, this, this kind of learning process that he engages in. And it's interesting to kind of chart what he's said about manufacturing. It's, it's like he's learned all these lessons in, in several months that Detroit learned over, or and frankly, the Japanese companies and everybody, and all the, all the legacy automakers had to take years to learn. Um, he, he, at one point, I was, he was reading something, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's, Automating too much is a mistake. I'm paraphrasing. That was the gist of what he had to say. And it's like, well, wow, you know, guess, you know, the, the legacy automakers learned the same lesson. It took him a while. He learned it in basically a space of six months to a year. 
at great expense. I'm, he probably could have avoided the pain and suffering if he'd have called people probably all of us know who, who know this stuff. But he learned it. And so I, I think, I mean, they made a profit in the last quarter, which was um, a milestone. They are making the Model 3 at a pretty fast clip, which is a milestone. And it does appear to have captured the imagination of a lot of people in that sort of, you know, what used to be the BMW 3 Series segment. I would submit it is not anymore. It's his. Those are all accomplishments, and so we shall see. But I think, uh, you know, he's gone from a real trough, you know, with the funding, the day of funding secured, when he said he had funding for his bio, which he didn't have, to where he's at as we speak is a pretty remarkable turnaround in just a few months. And it was a tweet. Yeah. Well, I was going to get to that, but first I'm just thinking, what an amazing world it is that Elon Musk smokes dope and Carlos Ghosn goes to jail. <laughs> <laughs> but beside that... He was in I, California, it was yeah, legal, it was all right. I, 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 I stick with my warning about paying too much attention to tweets, <laughs> and, and I also stay with my warning about watching the long game. I mean, I have no crystal ball. I don't know whether Tesla's going to be the remain the leader or whether when all of these other EVs come in, they'll crowd them out, or whether when all these other EVs come in, they'll crowd the market so much and there isn't that much of a market for EVs because you still have the range issue, you still have the, the other issues that go along with EVs, the expense, and you wonder how many people have that kind of money. I mean, the Jaguar I-Pace is a wonderful vehicle, but is there enough of a market for that, the e-tron, and the uh, Tesla Model X and so many more. And as far as the Model 3 and Model S go, well, they're sedans, they're not SUVs. So, you know, the market's moving there, so you've got to expect the electric market to follow. Yeah, I, I want to say there's something like 28 brands in the U.S. market, and Tesla now outsells 18 of them. And it came that close to outselling Audi in November. So... Holy moly, I mean... But again, they have the EV market to themselves. No, but nobody else can now. sell EVs in any kind of volume. Yeah. If you take Tesla out of the mix, EVs are a fraction yeah, of a percent minutes. of market yeah. share. But that's changing. I mean, there's product coming in. And it will yeah. change because so many more uh, mm -hmm. players are coming into the market. They will grow it. But no one's been able to replicate the success that Tesla's been able to achieve in that EV segment or even just as a new startup. You know, if they had internal combustion engines instead of electric batteries in them, I think we'd be even more impressed with what Tesla has achieved. You know, we say, well, well, it's got the EV segment and all. They have achieved something that's really remarkable, to your point, Joe. They, they've right. come out of nowhere to establish themselves as a, as a solid player. And if they keep racking up qu uh, profitable quarters, wow, everybody yeah, else better watch test. out. That's the real test. I mean, it's obvious, but you, you got that is the real test. I mean, one quarter, great. It wasn't huge. By the way, it was not a huge profit. It's not something that's going to uh, sustain them you know, without having to go back to the capital markets. But if they can do four of those in a row and start to put money in the bank and say, yes, we can fund the, you know, the Model Y, and yes, we can fund you know, upgrades and so on and so forth, or expansions that, that he's talked about of his model line. That's, you know, you don't have, basically, if we do, when, if, and if we're all back here, or some other group of us are back, you're, you'll be back here, but other people are back here a year from now, I think the question will be, did, did they put together five straight profitable quarters? Did they put money in the bank? Do they have a credible way of funding the future at Tesla? And then, then you'll really know. Yeah. Then you'll really know. But the other thing well, is we'll there's going to be some crazy thing that happens over the next 12 months, too, that you'll be talking about. Well, I invite you guys back in a year, and we'll figure it all out again.
Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles.